listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Amen. Next weekend is going to be the end of an era. We will finish our series that we've been in since September on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, so that'll be coming to an end next weekend, which means this weekend is the second to last sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. And tonight we're going to be looking at the golden rule and the narrow gate. And that's, in fact, the title of the sermon. The golden rule and the narrow gate. Let's look at our passage together. Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. Are you ready? All right. In everything... Do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few that find it. Now, in this short little passage, we find the golden rule and the narrow gate. First, let me say a word about the golden rule. The golden rule is the ethic of treating other people the way we want to be treated. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And this has become the foundation of what we call human rights. You know, right now in the 21st century, In most parts of the world, almost universally, across national barriers, ethnic barriers, religious differences, it's almost like we have this commonly shared assumption that human beings have inherent value and they deserve to be treated with a certain level of dignity just because they are human beings. And so that's become an ethic that forms the way that so many of us as nations around the world operate. This, this informs our laws. It informs the way we view other people. We, we understand that human beings have inherent worth. This is why we have programs to feed the homeless here in Los Angeles. Because we believe that it doesn't matter who a person is, how much money they earn, what the color of their skin is, what their story is. They are a human being, therefore they deserve to be treated with a certain degree of dignity. And that fuels our efforts in the world. And it's a wonderful thing. And, and it's an understanding that's shared all over the world. But here's something I think we need to understand is that the world wasn't always this way. We take it for granted, but this has been the product of the influence and the impact that Jesus Christ and his movement have made for the last 2,000 years. I guarantee you in the first century, the Roman Senate weren't sitting around having debates about the human rights of slaves. They didn't think like that. It just wouldn't have occurred to them. And yet here we are now in the 21st century, and there's almost this universal understanding that it doesn't matter who a person is, what their story is, what their life is like, what the circumstances surrounding them are, every person on this planet has inherent value. 
And they need to be treated with that kind of dignity. And whether we realize it or not, whether we're Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, atheist, agnostic, whatever, that ethic that we share flows directly from the life and teaching of Jesus Christ. And in particular, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Amen? So that's the golden rule. Connected with this is the narrow gate. Let's look at this teaching uh, and zoom at it. uh, Verses 13 and 14. He says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow, and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few that find it. So Jesus says there's a wide gate and there's a narrow gate. And the wide gate leads to a road that's very easy and most people take that road. But he says ultimately it's a road that leads to ruin and destruction. But the narrow gate leads to a road that's hard and it's difficult and very few are willing to take that road. But this road doesn't lead to death and destruction and ruin. This road ultimately leads to life the way it was meant to be lived. The kind of life you crave. Fullness of life. Or what Jesus would call abundant life. So watch this side by side. Here's what I want you to see. For some of you, this is going to be a totally new way of looking at this. Side by side, in the same breath, Jesus gives us the golden rule and the teaching of the narrow gate. Now here's the scandal of this passage. Is that even though the golden rule and the narrow gate are being taught to us in the same breath, and in context they are absolutely connected with one another, the scandal is that somewhere along the way we have tried to pry them apart and to treat them as two totally different ideas as if they have absolutely nothing to do with one another. So that the golden rule just becomes a nice little platitude that we tell our kids in kids' church to get them to get along with one another. Now, little Johnny, you know, the Bible says do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So share your trucks or whatever. And then we take this teaching of of the narrow gate and we turn it into a 30-second prayer to invite Jesus into your heart. We tell people, you know, Jesus is the only way. He's the only Savior. So call upon Jesus. Invite him into your heart so that you can get saved and go to heaven when you die. And somehow we think that that's what Jesus is talking about here, and it's not. Because Jesus specifically says, this is what I'm telling you, this is something that's hard. The narrow gate leads to a road that's difficult. It's not easy. But ultimately, it's going to lead you. It's going to take you where you want to go. It's going to bring you to the kind of life that your soul craves. But it's not going to be easy. It's a difficult road that very few are willing to go. But let's be honest. Saying a 30-second prayer to invite Jesus into your heart, that's the easiest thing in the world. Nothing difficult about it. So we have to grow and mature in our understanding and realize that salvation 
is not just simply a one-time momentary decision where I say a 30-second prayer to invite Jesus into my life, and then I get my ticket to heaven, stick it in my pocket, and I'm good to go. Salvation is a life that you live. It's a journey that you travel on. Now, every journey has a starting point. And every journey with Jesus starts with a faith decision to change the trajectory of your life. And that's what we call repentance. Yes, every journey with Jesus starts with a moment of repentance. But every journey doesn't just start, it keeps going. You know, it's interesting how the New Testament talks about salvation. It talks about salvation in the past, present, and future tense. We were saved. There's also a sense in which we're being saved. And there's a sense in which we're going to be saved. It's all-inclusive. It's a lifelong journey. Because, yes, when I was 13 years old and I knelt at a, a, an altar at a youth rally and I made a decision to give the trajectory of my life to Jesus, that was a moment that absolutely changed the trajectory of my life. And I wouldn't be here today without it. But you know what? Even after that moment, Ryan Poe still needed to be saved, and I still need to be saved from an egocentric kind of life. I need to be saved from a prideful way of life, a, a, a life of resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness and rage and self-centeredness. And folks, that's going to take an entire lifetime. You understand what I'm talking to you about? Does this... So salvation is not just a moment. It's a way that you travel. Because there is a way that seems right to human beings. It's the way that most people go. It's the way of treating life as a competitive, cutthroat, dog-eat-dog, winner-take-all game where I've got to get ahead of the next guy and rise to the top and pull myself up from the bootstraps and, and, and achieve my American dream. It's a self-centered approach to life. And this is the broad way. This is, what, this is how most people think. This is how most people live. And yet it's a road that leads to the ruin of the human soul, which ultimately contributes to the ruin of human society. And Jesus says, now I want, to, I, want, I want you to do something else. I want you to do this. However you wish that other people would treat you, that's how I want you to treat others. I want you to learn to live in a direction where you're consistently denying yourself and orienting your life around the needs of others. And you're learning progressively to live a life of self-sacrificial love. And I'm telling you, everybody here would say, boy, that sounds beautiful. That sounds wonderful. Um, that is a hard way to live. That is a very difficult way to live. And few people, most people will not live that way. Most people will not think that way. They will think about themselves. And they'll just seek to get ahead in life no matter what the cost. But ultimately, that way leads to ruin, the ruin of our soul. And Jesus says, now, I don't want you to go that way, the way everyone else is going. I want you to choose this way. However you want to be treated, learn to treat others that way. So the point of salvation, listen to this. The point of salvation 
is not just to gain a status that pertains to what happens when you die. The point is to come into a way of life that will not ruin you as a person. To to enter into a new way of living that will lead to you flourishing with Christ-like character and ultimately contributing to the flourishing of human society under his reign. We are living right now in the kingdom of God. We, We talked about that last week. Jesus is king right now. Now, there's a competing kingdom as well. There's the kingdom of darkness and there's the kingdom of light that are coexisting in the world. That's why the world's so messed up. That's why the world is so ugly and things like what happened this week happen. But right now, Jesus is the reigning king and he's not going to leave the world this way. There's coming a point Jesus is going to return. How many of you believe that? That's what, that's what Christians confess, and we have confessed for 2,000 years. And I believe Jesus' return is imminent. That means it can happen at any moment. I love for Jesus to return before the end of this sermon. I, I would love it, and I believe it's possible. But Jesus is going to return, and when he returns, he's going to make everything right once and for all. Everything that's not consistent with Jesus' character and his kingdom, things like greed, immorality, injustice, rage, these are things that are going to be once and for all eradicated from the world. And all of those things that are consistent with his character, he's going to refine and perfect and eternalize. I like that word. And here's what the New Testament says. You and I, we're all, we, we sang it just a moment ago, we are citizens of heaven. We're, we're already citizens of that kingdom. And so more and more, our lives, by the power of the Holy Spirit, should take on the characteristics of that coming kingdom. And so even now, we should be expelling from our lives anything that's not uh, related to the character of Christ. And with the Holy Spirit's help, we are to be cultivating those things that are. The New Testament uses an image. It it says, we're called to be, in, in the book of James, we are the first fruits of the coming harvest, We're going to give the world a taste of what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back and everything's made right. Or to use, I think, maybe a more helpful analogy for you in Hollywood, we are called to be the preview of the coming attraction, giving our culture a a glimpse of what it will be like in the age to come, which means that we are right now, our number one job, we are called to be imitators of Christ. We're called, we're called to imitate him. Now, here's why i got to be very careful. Because what I don't want you to do here at Village Church, and the way I don't want you to think is, I don't want you to take the Sermon on the Mount, read it, and say, wow, what a bunch of beautiful, wonderful ideas. I'm going to try really, really hard to live this way. Because you cannot live this way on your own. That's going to lead you into frustration, disillusionment, disillusionment and despair. But when we believe upon Jesus, we become connected to him, grafted into him, like like a vine is connected to its branches. 
And as we remain connected in Christ and abide in Christ through the formational practices of worship and prayer and scripture and community, what we're doing right now, as we remain in Christ, we're like branches that derive from the vine the life and the grace that are necessary to empower us to actually live the way Jesus is calling us to live. So I want to make this very clear to you. You can enter through the narrow gates. And you can travel down the hard, difficult road of living a life of self-denial, orienting your life around the needs of other people, and treating others the way that you would have them to treat you. And how is that possible? You can do that because you've connected your life to Jesus, and you've remained connected to Jesus in faith and allegiance, so that over time, his grace in his life empowers you to blossom with the fruit of Christ-like character. What's another way of saying that? It's salvation by grace through faith. See, we think salvation by grace through faith is something that happened long ago when we said a prayer. Well, you know, December 13th, 1983, I invited Jesus into my life and I was saved by grace through faith. Well, hallelujah, I'm glad for that, believe me. But your entire life is going to be a life where you're being saved by that same grace as you continue to remain connected to him by faith and allegiance. Amen? Now, if you're struggling with that idea, I don't have time to develop it, so I'm sorry. Come talk to me later. But i got to move on. So these two things, the golden rule and the narrow gate, are not disassociated ideas. It, I mean, sometimes we treat them like, like the golden rules found over here in Matthew chapter 7 and, and the narrow gates found way over in John 20, and they have nothing to do with one another. And, and when we keep them apart, it can produce a Christianity that becomes very self-centered, which is to say no Christianity at all. But the golden rule and the narrow gate I need you to see today are absolutely inextricably connected. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. Now, here's the, here's the last thing I want to share with you. Here's the last direction I want to take this. If you and I are going to fulfill the golden rule and learn how to consistently treat others the way that we would want to be treated, it's going to be necessary that we learn how to confer humanity upon others and prayerfully consider what it is like to be them. Now, this is something that we're not naturally inclined to do. Each one of us is born into a certain cultural, religious, and national context. So, speaking for myself, Ryan Post, I am three things. I am an American, I'm a Protestant, and I'm a Caucasian. Those are three things about me that I absolutely did not choose. I was given that just by virtue of the fact that I was born into the home of Frank and Donna Post and who happened to live in South Louisiana in the United States of America. But if I was born in the middle of China, if I was born in the middle of Iran, I would not be those three things. You understand? So that was handed to me. That that way of being in the world, that framework, that lens through which I interpret the world, that was handed to me. I'm an American, I'm a Protestant, I'm a Caucasian, and that is not my choice. 
It was not um, something that I did anything to earn, and you can't blame me for it. It just is what it is. And this is how, this is the lens I was given to look at the world. So what needs to happen for me, as often as the Spirit leads, is as I'm centering myself in prayer and silence with the Lord, I need to give the Lord some opportunity and allow him to probe my heart and ask questions like, what would it be like to be an immigrant from Central America living here in Los Angeles? What would it be like to be an Armenian immigrant living in Glendale? What would it be like to be an African-American whose grandparents lived under Jim Crow and whose parents went to school in segregated schools? And I'm born into that context. And what would it be like to be a Muslim living here in the United States of America post 9-11? And if I am that person, how would I want to be treated by those who call themselves Christians? I'm just telling you, this is where we've got to learn how, we've got to learn to go there. Because our number one job, and this is the most important part of the sermon right here, don't miss this part, our number one job as kingdom people is to confer dignity upon every person we see. And we have to learn, and, and the Holy Spirit's got to help us, but we have to learn how to perceive and treat every person we see, no matter who they are, as someone who is made in the image of God and a person for whom Christ died. Therefore, this is a person who has unsurpassable worth, and I'm going to reflect that to them in the way I relate to them. That's my number one job. I'm not saying it's my only job, but it's the most important job. I can do all my other jobs towards that person. I can share the gospel. I can tell them their sin, <laughs> you know, even though I don't think that's always our job. But we can, we can have all of these other opinions that may or may not be right. But if we don't get that right, we're wrong. Our number one job is to treat every person with the dignity of somebody who's made in God's image and a person for whom Christ died. So if we're going to live this way, if we're going to do unto others as we would have them do unto us, we're going to have to spend some time prayerfully considering what would it be like to be them? What would it be like to be a radical secularist in America? And how would I want Christians to treat me? What would it be like to be a Muslim in America? How would I want Christians to treat me? What would it be like to be, and you fill in the blank, how would you want Christians to treat you? Well, Ryan, you know, they just need to get saved. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. I'm all for that. But no group of people on this planet is exempt from being treated according to the golden rule. And I want every person on this planet to become an apprentice of Jesus Christ. But this is part of how that's going to happen. <laughs> so we got to spend some time thinking, if I were a Muslim, if I were an atheist, if I were gay, if I were a transgender, how would I want those who gather in the pews on the weekends, how would I want them to treat me? And Jesus says, treat them that way. 
Share the gospel with them? Yes. Tell them about Jesus? Absolutely. Give them your testimony? Absolutely. Do all you know how to do, but your most important assignment is to treat them the way that you would like to be treated. And that's going to require that we step outside of our self-centered, egocentric, us-versus-them paradigm. And we begin to ponder, what would it be like to be this person? Listen to this statement. True morality consists in how well we care for one another, not in what sort of behavior we impose upon one another. True morality consists in how well we care for one another, not in what kinds of behaviors we impose upon one another. I want to share a story in closing. It's a true story. I heard this recently. There was a man who was in prison for a long, long time. I don't even know what his crime was, but he was in prison for a long time. And during the time that he was in prison, he never went to chapel service never went to worship. He, he didn't call himself a Christian. But eventually after his prison sentence, he was released. And he just figured to himself, here I, I have an opportunity now to change the trajectory of my life. And maybe I ought to give God a chance. Maybe I ought to go to church. And so he like picked a church at random, I guess. And he attended church this week, that, that one weekend. And and a week later, somebody asked him, how did it go? You went to church. What was it like? And he said, well, the pastor got up and he preached a sermon. And the whole sermon, he, he was telling me how horrible this particular political figure was and how this person's ruining America and destroying everything. And the person said, well, are you going to go back to church? And he said, absolutely not. He said, and I'm going to quote him. This is exactly what he said. He said, because I don't need a preacher telling me who to hate. Wow. I don't need a preacher telling me who to hate. What a wasted opportunity. Don't we have something better to do? Don't we have something good to tell? And demonizing people, using people, commodifying human beings for our own self-interest is the broad way that leads to destruction, the great danger of which is the ruin of our own soul, the irreparable damage to the human soul. But the narrow gate, the hard, difficult road of living the golden rule by God's Spirit, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus, and it leads to the kind of life every one of us longs for. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we just create a space now. I, want, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna put too fine of an application point on this sermon. I just feel like maybe there's multiple things that God may speak to just different people in this room. But we're gonna create a, just some space, some silence, some quiet, a prayerful moment. And here's the first thing I want us to contemplate as you're sitting there in, in quiet, and I just want you to imagine it's you and Jesus right now. And I want you to first contemplate God's goodness to you. I want you to right now think about the ways God has been good to you. Count 
the expressions of God's love towards your life. Think about the mercy that he pours out upon you every day. The grace that he pours into your life every day. That despite our own failures over and over and over again, his faithfulness remains secure. He never relents. He never forsakes. He never, he never stops pursuing us. But his constant beckon and call is to come back into the fold. He's good and he's merciful and he's gracious. And now for the next 60 seconds, I want you to explore the question, God, where are you calling me to deny myself for the sake of someone else? How are you calling me to deny myself for the sake of others? I just want you to sit in silence over that question for just for the next 60 seconds. practices like these, just simple silence, listening, prayer, worship. Over time, this is how we remain connected to the vine from which this is where we get his supernatural grace that empowers us to actually live the way he's called us to live in moments like these. And it's so important that we create these, this kind of space. So I just pray right now Lord, that as recipients of your grace and mercy and your, your love, as we create that time and space every day to receive it, I pray that our own lives would be characterized by self-giving, others-oriented, radical forgiveness and love so that we can be part of your healing work in the world. May that be so in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.